Would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, may they be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, when it comes to forgiveness, for me in my life, it always seems to be easier to merely forget. Some people claim to say that time heals all wounds, but from my experience, what time, what time has done is has given me the opportunity to forget. Forget the past. Forget the wrongdoing. Forget the feelings and the emotions. Keep them bottled up tight. Better to just, just to, to forget and not have to wrestle with the feelings and emotions of the hurt, not having to deal with the act of forgiveness. Problem, though, that I have found is that the emotions never truly go away. In fact, as my life continues to move forward, those memories of the past and the feelings that they carry repeatedly surface, and often in inappropriate times. Hurts and and wrongdoings that I thought I had forgotten about, they come flooding back, and my heart aches all over again. The emotions, as the emotions, they flood back into my life. The reason for this is simple, and and you all know the reason for this. Uh, I never dealt with the issues adequately in the first place. So let me, let me give you a practical example of how this has happened. A few months ago, as, as my family gathered um, for, for a Christmas holiday party, this happened, and, and I was visiting with extended, extended family, and, and we were celebrating because one of the cousins got engaged, and, and we were talking about an upcoming wedding, and, you know, all the excitement, and what, the girls were, what are you going to wear, and the guys were like, what are we going to eat, and, and, you know, we're talking about who's going to be invited, and who's not going to be invited to the wedding and the reception. I got the good list, I'm, I'm invited, so... Go team. But in the middle of the conversation, I found myself overcome with this emotional, toxic feeling. This emotional state, it erupted in my heart. And it took me back 14 years to 2004. You see, 14 years ago, I made the decision that I was going to propose to my wife, Erin. And the first person I shared that decision with was someone who was very, very close to me. And when I shared my plan, he said, Tim, I'll be there for your wedding, but I'll also be there for your divorce. His words cut me deeply. It was like a dagger in my back. I I had never wanted, I honestly had never wanted to lash out in anger at someone any more than I did in that moment. How could he say such a thing? How could he doubt me? How could he doubt our relationship? How could he doubt my future wife? Well, the person who said it never brought it up again. But for the first few years of my married life, every time I saw him, those words flashed back in my memory and I would get angry again. Finally, after years of pushing the emotions aside, better to forget, just forget it. It doesn't matter, just forget it. It's not important, just forget it. I finally forgot it. I finally forgot it. But then at Christmas, Fourteen years later, a few months ago, it all came back again. I had never forgiven him, nor had I worked through the emotional baggage that I carried because of that simple comment made by a dear, dear friend. Forgiveness is hard. Forgetfulness is easier. But forgetfulness does not offer us resolution. Forgetfulness does not bring us peace. And forgetfulness is not what Christ teaches us to live. More importantly, Forgetting 
is not loving. Forgiveness is a topic that we continually to struggle with as people of faith and as people of marginal faith and as people of no faith because forgiveness comes from the reality of the brokenness that we have in life, the the brokenness that we are as people. You see, we do things that hurt other people. We do things that affect people negatively. We unintentionally or even intentionally say things that cut deep. Whether it be for power or control, sometimes we hurt others for our own benefit. Sometimes it's an act of revenge. Sometimes the hurt that we inflict on another is not even intentional. Sometimes it's our actions that cut the deepest. Other times it's our inaction that hurts. Regardless, when we fail to love others the way God has called us to love, our relationships become broken. So let me ask you rhetorically, have you ever been hurt so bad Hurt so bad that the only emotional response that you could muster is hate. Have you ever failed so critically in life that the guilt completely consumed you? Have you ever stood by a close friend who had been victimized? Have you ever had what you would call one of those unforgivable sins committed against you, a family member, a loved one, a friend? Has forgiveness ever eluded you? Or do you struggle to forgive? Do you, like me, prefer forgetfulness over forgiveness? Mark Twain once said, and I love this quote, he said that forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. I want to say that again. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. See, forgiveness is hard in our culture because we live in a culture that desires fairness and forgiveness is not fair. We live in a culture where we want people to get what they deserve. We may not be willing to come out and say it, but often we desire that eye for an eye justice system. If you hurt me, expect me to hurt you back. But this is not what we find in Scripture. It's not what Jesus teaches about living in relationship with other people. And so today we're going to dive into this concept of forgiveness We're going to look at the story that Jesus told to a group of religious leaders, of Pharisees, and we will soon discover that forgiveness is ingrained inside another spiritual trait, and that is love. So let's dive right in, beginning in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. We find these words. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was there, she brought, him, brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kissed his feet and put perfume on them. To begin to understand the story and how it relates to forgiveness, we must understand the players in the story. There is, of course, Jesus, the Son of God, who was invited to this Pharisee, Simon's house, for dinner. Now, this is not Simon Peter. This is Simon the Pharisee, a different person. And the Pharisees were this group of legalistic, religious leaders. And then we have the immoral woman from the city. So three groups of people. We have the religious leaders who spent their lives trying to obey every law found in the Hebrew Bible, which which is our Old Testament. And then we have Jesus, of course, and he's, he's a teacher, a rabbi who forgives and heals and also happens to be our Messiah. Then we have the immoral woman with the alabaster jar of perfume. Now, scholars 
Most scholars believe that the immoral woman was a prostitute and that the perfume was a tool of the trade. It was something that she would have carried with her as she went about her work. So as Jesus reclined at the table with the Pharisees for a meal and conversation, this woman enters the house and approaches Jesus' feet. And I want to give you a visual of how this would have looked. Because okay, it, it looks different than we often perceive it or conceive it looking. Because we have a very different version of what it means to sit at the table. So in this time period, I'm going to come over here. In this time period, sitting at the table was actually reclining at the table. And you would sit with one arm down, left arm down, and you would have your feet out behind you. And the table would be like this in front of you. And you would recline at the table. So you could eat with one hand and pass food to the right. Um, and this is what it looked like to recline at the table. Think about the story in the Gospels of um, when it says Jesus um, leaned over and put his head on the chest of his beloved disciple. Well, he leaned back. This is what it looked like to sit at the table because you were on the ground. So when this woman came into the household while Jesus was sitting at the table and eating and talking to the Pharisees, he was not looking at his feet. This is how easy it was for her to get to him and to his feet because they were off behind him. Notice how the Pharisees respond to this scenario. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Now, I see this like this. Sinner! Right? The Pharisees were this religious, um, legalistic group who, who tried to uphold the law, but they were the first ones that would call you out for a sin. She's a sinner. If, the, if this Jesus person were really a prophet, he would know that she is a sinner and that he shouldn't let her touch him. Inappropriate behavior. The Pharisees tried to live pious lives and keep themselves pure, which is not in and of itself a bad thing. The Pharisees often get a bad rap, but they were trying to be holy. They just lived it out in some inappropriate ways. They strive to live righteous lives, righteous lives. But Jesus' response is fantastic. He doesn't address the woman yet. Instead, he speaks to the owner of the house who invited him to dinner, and he tells a story. Without responding to the woman, he turns to the Pharisees. So picture this. He's reclined at the table. The woman is crying over his feet and wiping them with her hair, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Okay? He's not acknowledging her yet. He talks to the Pharisees, and he tells this story. Jesus answers, his thoughts. Simon, he says, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replies, now I think it probably was more sarcastic. Go ahead, teacher. Because he'd already made some observations about him not being the Messiah. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Okay, this group. How many of you say the person who was forgiven 500 pieces of silver? Raise your hand. All right. Okay, how many of you say it was the 50? A couple of you. Okay. Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, said Jesus. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, you with me for the stage directions? Jesus is reclined. He turns his attention to the woman at his feet, but he's talking to Simon at the table. 
He turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Now, you may be asking why this is important to the story, but understand that in this culture and time period, the host's responsibility was to provide, to provide for washing the dust off your feet. Either they provided you the basin and the towel, or they had a servant do it for you. And, and the kiss of blessing and that kiss of greeting would be similar to shaking someone's hand as they entered your house or giving them a hug. Simon did none of these things for Jesus. And now we get to the heart of the lesson. Jesus continues, looking at the woman, talking to Simon. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table, the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that story. A significant lesson from this encounter with Jesus is that forgiveness is not a standalone concept. Jesus breaks this idea of forgiveness into three separate parts that all work together. First, there is a wrongdoing. There is a debt that is owed. In Jesus' story, it's 500 pieces of silver or 50 pieces of silver. But in our lives, it can be anything, really. It could be hard-spoken words. It could be misplaced loyalties. It could be unintended consequences of actions. It could be malicious deceit. It could be any number of hurts or harms to our life or the lives of people we love. But the point is, is that there is a debt that is owed, a wrong that has been done. Second, there is a decision to forgive. There is a choice to forgive. In Jesus' story, he says that the people who borrowed the money had no way of repaying the debt. They could not repay the debt. Hear this. They cannot repay the debt. They could not fix what was broken. Once you say a word, it cannot be unsaid. Once you take an action, it cannot be undone. It can never be undone. The thing that happened to you or your loved one can never be erased from your life story. It's a part of you now. It's a part of your history. It's a part of your life. The lender is the person harmed. He is the one who decides to forgive the debt. The lender realizes that he will never be repaid. He can never get back what was given or lost. So he chooses to forgive. He makes a conscious decision to forgive. He canceled the debt, not just on paper, but in his heart. The debt is no longer owed. And this is a tough and challenging concept, choosing to forgive, choosing to forget what's been done to you, to forgive what's been done to you. It's so hard that next week we're going to focus specifically on this idea of choosing forgiveness. But for today, understand that the one who was hurt makes a choice to forgive and in doing so shows love. Third, 
is that forgiveness develops love. See, Jesus asked which one of them loved more. The one who was forgiven of the more significant debt, of course. Forgiveness from the side of the one, the one wronged is an act of love. Love that is backed with the recognition that the debt can never be repaid. But the act of forgiveness also develops the love of the person who's forgiven. When you receive forgiveness and you know that you've been forgiven by the person you have wronged, your love grows. Now I completely, completely, completely 100% understand that there are some specific sins, hurts, and wounds that each of us have experienced that we are not ready to forgive yet. Even more so, there are wounds and sins from people that we don't want to grow in love with. But that is a part of the festering anger, the hate and the resentment from the hurts. And if this is you today, I want you to think of the woman at Jesus' feet and Jesus. You see, she had sinned deeply, and yet Christ chose to forgive her. And so I ask you a bold question this morning. A bold question. What kind of sin has Jesus forgiven you for? Has Jesus forgiven you for anything in your life? Anything big, anything small? Paul says this about forgiveness in Colossians 3. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. You see, God has paved the way for us to choose to forgive others in life. God has shown us his love through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins on the cross and we, so that we can live in relationship with God again. And we have a promise of eternal life from Christ from that. I mean, Jesus himself said it. For this is how much God loved the world, that he would send his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save it through him. Because of Jesus Christ, we have received forgiveness. And because we have been forgiven, we have grown in love. And because we have grown in love, we, can too, we too can choose to forgive. We can help the world grow in love. John teaches us that we love because God first loved us. Jesus teaches us that we forgive because he forgives. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness means loving, and loving means forgiving. So today I'm going to challenge you to show love by forgiving and so what I want you to do is I want you to think in your mind right now of one person, one person that has hurt or harmed you in your life, whoever is most on your mind right now. And then I want you to open your worship folder and on the inside you should find a post-it note and I want you to write their name on it, just their name. If you don't want to write their name, write their initials. If you don't want to write their initials, write a doodle that means that person to you. You are the only person who will see that post-it note. I want you to do it right now, to write down one name, And when you finish that, I want you to turn your worship folder over where the notes section is. And I know it's probably full of notes right now, but I want you to find a small spot on the back of your worship folder. And I want you to write these four things down. Number one, pray about your heart. 
Pray about your heart. Number two, pray about their heart. Pray about their heart. Number three, write it down. Write it down. Number four, throw it away. Throw it away. Let me explain. Number one, pray about your heart. I want you to pray about what's going on in your life because of this hurt that they, this person has done to you. What is the emotion that you are feeling? What is the pain that you are holding on to? What is the festering emotional bur- burden that consumes you? I want you to identify that thing and I want you to pray about it. Number two, pray about their heart. I want you to pray for the person who wronged you. I know that it is hard to do. If you can't pray for them, pray for their spouse or significant other. Pray for their kids. Pray for their job. Pray for their life. Pray that God would work anew in them the same way that God is working anew in you. Pray about their heart. Number three, I want you to write it down. Not right now, but on your own at home. I want you to write down what you're feeling. Write down the hurt, the sin, the pain. Write it down because by writing it down, you are able to articulate what is actually going on inside of you and it, brings you, it gives you an opportunity to see where the healing truly needs to come. All the while, continuing to pray for your heart and to pray for their heart. And number four is throw it away. I literally want you to take that piece of paper, crumple it up, and physically throw it away to let it go to choose forgiveness, to choose to release the debt, to decide to not receive payment in full. Do it every day if you have to until you get to a place where you live out that forgiveness. In a few minutes, we're gonna celebrate communion together. And what I want you to do is, is as you come forward, I want you to bring your post-it note and I want you to crumple it up and I want you to throw it away today. There are trash cans up in front when we take communion so you can bring it with you and drop it into a wastebasket. I want you to throw it away. Jesus' story teaches us that forgiveness is a decision that we make when we realize that the debt or hurt can never be repaid, replaced. It can never be undone. And in the act of forgiveness, we grow in love and we show love Forgiving means loving, and loving means forgiving. I wonder, what do you think the world would look like if we could do this? How would this community change and the church change if we were able to put all of the pain and bitterness of our lives and brokenness away? What if we forgive the people that hurt us and sow love into the world instead? Do you think if we really did it that this world would change? I do. I think that not only would our world change, but our lives would change and everything would change. You see, I dream of a day when this happens, personally and as a community, a day when the things of our past no longer consume our present, a time when the only thing that is boiling up inside of us is our love for God and a love for others, when sitting at family gatherings bring only memories of joy. How would your world change if the wrongs of your past we're not simply forgotten, but we're forgiven. And what would it take for you to let go? 
Will you pray with me? O God of love and of forgiveness, who loved us enough to forgive us for our most profound sins. God, we ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to let go of the hurts of our past. Give us the strength to choose to forgive, to sow love instead of hate. God, we know that we forgive because you first forgave us. Let your great love inspire our love for the world. It's in Christ's name that we pray and everyone said, amen.